Well, I've got some good news. Do you want to hear some good news? Hands up if you like good news. Here's the good news. Ready? The good news is that Jesus is coming back. He really is. Hands up if you actually believe that. Okay, keep your hands up if you believe that he's going to come back in our lifetime. Oh, look, <laughs> let me split the room. Like, whoa, ee, ah, woo. Okay, hands up if you believe he's going to come back in our lifetime. All right? This is a good question. Hands up if you believe there's a lot of work to be done before he comes back. <laughs> hands up if there's, you believe there's so much work to be done that that's the reason you didn't put your hand up. <laughs> there's a lot of work to be done, isn't there? In Acts chapter 1, uh, Luke was a doctor and he wrote the book of Acts and rec the recordings of, of, G of the Acts of the Apostles. And it says, Jesus began to appear to them over a period of 40 days and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And they said, at this time, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that my father has set by his authority, but, everybody say but. That's a great but right there. And the reason it's such a great place for a but is Jesus changes their question about eschatology back to the issue of the hand, at hand. And he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you so that you can be my witnesses right here in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as he was speaking, he literally left them and he disappeared into the clouds. And the angels appeared and said, don't you know this same Jesus will return in the same way that you've seen him go? Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for a bride that has made herself ready. He's coming back for a house that is built not with living stones, sorry, not with, with brick and mortar, but with living stones, which are people. Fitly joined together where God can make his presence. He's coming back for a body Paul says, that is fitly joined together with every joint supplying the others, functioning under the head, which is Jesus Christ. He's coming back for a vine that is fruitful. He's coming back for an army that is fit for battle. What I love about the New Testament is not one of those metaphors is big enough or sufficient enough to describe the awesomeness of the church. Jesus is coming back for a bride that has made herself ready. Everyone say herself. That means that there's things that we need to do in order to get ourselves ready. Would you agree? And perhaps that was why some of you weren't too quick to raise your hand that you believe Jesus would come back in your lifetime because when you look at the state of the church, there's so much work that needs to be done. And that's true. He, being meaning Jesus, must remain in heaven, the Bible says, until. Everyone say until. And there's a bunch of things that the Bible says until, which descri describes what needs to happen until Jesus comes back. God has given apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists to equip God's people until we all reach the unity of the faith and come to the full measure of Christ. Until all enemies have been made a footstool for his feet. Until every knee bows and until every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. Until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. Until this gospel has been preached to every nation and all creation. And then the end will come. 
there's an entail. There's something that needs to happen. And that's why, church, when we're like, oh, in our lifetime, wow, there's a lot to happen that needs to be done. Until the restoration of all things takes place. There's a lot of restoring. And the truth is, God can do it in a second if he wanted to. But he's chosen us, his church, to get ourselves ready. To restore everything back to the way that God initially, originally intended. And he can wait. For, you know, God is very patient. In Peter it says, God is not slow in keeping his promises as some people think. No, he's actually being patient for our sake, not wanting any to perish, but all come to the knowledge of him. Peter also says that we can hasten, which means to hurry up the day of his return. Did you know that? That we can actually hurry it up? We can actually play our part in bringing Jesus back? Until that trumpet sounds and the skies rip open and he, the king of glory, comes to collect his bride that is without spot or blemish, that is beautiful and radiant. Until the mountain of the Lord that Isaiah 2 talks about, the, the mountain of the Lord becomes the chief mountain and the world will stream to Zion and say, teach us your ways, O people of God, that we can hasten, that we can hurry along. We can hasten it. We can, we can bring Jesus back by doing our job. But he's so patient and he's so kind. I'm going to give you a little glimpse into 2020. And I had the great privilege of, of, of talking about what God is doing throughout our network of churches and talking about is there a common theme that God is saying. And for next year, amongst a collegiate of different leaders, we've We've decided that the theme for next year is found in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 11. And I, I don't normally do this, but I'm just going to tell you, you know, what the theme is for next year. But it's in the context of all these things and hastening the day of his return and the things that must, place, must take place. And then Peter says this. He says, in light of all of this, what kind of people, everyone say people, what kind of people ought we to be? And the theme for, for 2020, the 2020 vision is people. Amen. Just one word, people. God loves people. He loves, he loves saved people. He loves unsaved people. He loves people. For God so loved the whole world that he gave his son for us. Why? Because he loves people. And if we love him, we will love what he loves. And if we love what he loves, we will love people. And so as an eldership yesterday, we start to talk about the vision for 2020 and how it affects St. Charles, Geneva, and what we're going to do. And one of the things we've decided to do is to take our building in downtown St. Charles that we own. Uh, that we own. And although because of a prophetic vision, we've moved here and we've kind of made our base here. And we're, going to, we're starting, we've moved our offices into here, into this building here now. And we're going to function here um, as long as we, as long as... God will have us to be here. We have a building in downtown St. Charles where 110,000 cars drive past every single day. And right now, that building just looks a little bit empty, like what's happening there. So we're going to change the name for where it says Life Church to the Life Center. And we're going to start reaching our community. And this is how. You know, in Isaiah 61, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me too. To what? He's anointed me to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to release from prison, from, from darkness, the prisoners, to comfort those who mourn and for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. The Spirit of the Lord is upon the church. The anointing of heaven, the anointed one, is upon us. The dove has rested upon us, the church, because he has anointed and he has appointed us to do something, to reach people. And Isaiah 2, I've just quoted, says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord will be the chief mountain. And the world, the world's systems, political, educational, medical, Media, education will come to Zion, come to the church and say, will you teach us your ways? 
Our ways have, have failed, but the church, how is it that you know how to handle this? You have an answer for mental health. You have an answer for marriage. You have an answer for business. You have an answer for communication. You have an answer for depression. You have an answer for sex. You have an answer. How do you know the answers? Because we know the author of, of, the, of the book. We know the creator of all things. What a privilege that we have to know him. When terrible things happen, sometimes I think, I don't know how I would cope if I didn't know you, Lord. We grieve not as those who have no hope. doesn't mean we don't grieve. We just grieve in another way. And I, I, I'm being provocative because everything in me in these days, I just feel stirred. God, I want my life to count. God, I don't want to just play silly church games. I hate church politics. I hate gossip. I hate just silly old faffing around. There's a world that is just desperate to know Jesus. And we are anointed and appointed to reach the world. So we want to use our building next year to bring in people to, do, to, to advertise, not just saying the church, but to say it's the life center, owned by us, owned by the church, but to start advertising about life coaching, how to train people with life skills, how to, how to raise children, how to have a healthy marriage, and let the community come to Zion. And let them come and say, will you teach us? How, how is it that your marriages work? Because we read the book. Because the God, you know, I did a wedding the other day. And I, and I said, you know, to, a lot of people didn't, you know, didn't know me. And many, most people didn't know the Lord. I said, did you know marriage was God's idea? The place was quiet. I said, you know, God loves weddings so much. He opens the Bible with a wedding and closes the Bible with a wedding. He loves weddings. It was his idea. Marriage isn't just a good tax write-off. And it only works when, it, when we do it his way. And Paul in Ephesians 5 says, he starts going through this marriage seminar. And then at the end he says, I'm not really talking about marriage seminar. I'm talking about Christ and the church. I'm talking about this great mystery that only works when we do it God's way. When husbands love your wives as Christ is the church. When wives honor your husbands and everything. As you do that, when, when there's love and honor and when those two things mix, boom, God does a miracle and marriage works. So we shouldn't think it's weird if it doesn't work. We don't do it his way. But when we do it his way, boom, a mystery happens. A miracle happens. But it's not just so that we can have a happy marriage. It's so that we can show the world what marriage is. Because marriage is a little, little picture of Christ and the church. So when people see your marriage, they should be seeing Christ and the church. And if it's not, then that's why Jesus hasn't come back yet. No pressure. I'm just saying... He is being patient for our sake. He is a loving father and he's waiting, but there's things that need to happen. There's stuff that needs to take place. And it starts wherever you are. It starts here in Jerusalem, then Judea, then to Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. And some of us want to jump through those steps and just go to the ends of the earth. Rather than say, listen, it's got to start in my house. It's got to start in my heart. It's got to start in my mind. It's got to start with my eyesight. It's got to start with my tongue. I'm going to start right here. I'm going to start it with me. Lord, send revival. Start with me. Start with me. Start with my heart. Start with my attitude. So that I can get rid of stuff. You know, some of us were doing recording for the refinery, which we're going to, we have the privilege of housing next year, where students are going to come from around the world to go on a nine-month program called the refinery. And I open the scriptures to Malachi chapter 3, and it says, he will be like the refiner's fire. He will put me through the refining process like silver and gold. A refinery, by definition, is a place where raw material, more raw materials are bought to go through the process where impurities are being removed in order to produce that which is of value. That's what God wants to do with us, to get us ready for his return. And so today, I, I, I want to provoke us. Is that okay? You know, I know if you're visiting for the first time, you think this church is so weird. They're singing to each other. What's that about? I know it's a little bit different. And come back next week, it'll be completely different again. <laughs> but 
Hebrews says this, don't neglect the gathering of the saints as some are in the habit of doing. Can I encourage you, don't get into a habit of missing gathering of God's people. The Bible says don't. Don't do it. And then the Hebrews right, Hebrews says this, in fact, meet all the more as the day approaches. So one of the ways we can hasten his return is by being obedient. By being obedient. By saying, okay, God, this is what you said. I'm going to do it. But I don't really understand it, but I'm going to do it. But I'm going to obey you, God. I'm going to obey your word. And you know, as we walk in obedience, those who are led by the, by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So the more we're led by the Spirit, the more we walk in our sonship. And the more we grow up. Because he's coming back for a body that is fully grown. He's coming back for a mature body, a mature bride, a mature house, a mature army, a mature vine. Mature. Ready. Amen. Amen. Wherever there's a promise, there's an if. So often we love the promises of God, but we fail to realize that they're so often prefixed with an if. If you wait here in Jerusalem, you will receive power from on high. You ever stop to wonder? My mind thinks like this all the time. But I wonder what would happen if they didn't. You know what? We would like to stay, but we've got stuff happening, so we're going to go. And we waited, but nothing happened. Imagine that there wasn't the power of the Holy Spirit on the earth today. The paraclete, the one to come alongside, the counselor, the comforter. The one to clothe us. With power. Wait here in Jerusalem and you will. There is an if before the promise. If you wait here, you will receive power from on high. That's the New Testament. Everyone say New Testament. Here's one from the Old Testament. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. If, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will hear from heaven, and I will hear, heal their land. Wherever there's a promise, there's an if. If my people will do this, then I will do that. Old Testament. New Testament, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. Wherever there's a promise, there's an if. If you do this, I will do this. God is, 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 God is a loving father, but sometimes I, I, I think we can forget that he, he, he's not our buddy. He's still God. And as we walk in fear of him in a godly way, I'm not being, talking about being scared, but I'm talking about the fear of the Lord with an awe that he is God. It was Mike Bickle that said, God will always be your friend, but he will never be your buddy. But we walk in a sense of reverence and awe before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I said to someone the other day, listen, why don't you just go and just do whatever you want? And they went, what? I said, yeah, my counsel would be to you, looking at your life and all the things you're doing, just go and serve the devil. Because the Bible says be hot or cold. In other words, the two op- there's only two options. Cold's fine. You just made a decision. See, watch this. If God gives us the prerogative to choose, then so must we. God is a God. He's a father that gives choice. By the way, when I said this person, they, choose, they chose really well. You know. <laughs> it wasn't really my counsel, but my, I was trying to be provocative. If you don't want to serve God, just stop playing in the game. Plus, let's just stop playing games. Let's just get rid of this lukewarmness and allow, and allow the fire of God to come. Allow the presence of God. We, we were talking the other day um, with um, a couple who were going to be leading the refinery. And she just said this too. We were having dinner together, some of us. And she said, so often we say the Holy Spirit is here in the meeting. And she said, sometimes when I hear that, and I think, is he? Because if he really was, if he was really here in all his splendor and all his might, I wonder if we'd just be like, don't like this song. It's a bit loud in here, a bit cold in here. But if God was here, would we be like, oh, 
Oh, God. Am I provoking you too much? Too much? Too much? Okay. You went really quiet, so I just thought I'd slow down. So, okay, so drawn into me and I would, okay, that's New Testament. Old Testament, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. We know that scripture so well. He wants to give me the desires of my heart. But the prefix, wherever there's a promise, there's an if, is delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight, is your life a delight to the Lord? Because we love the promise, but what about the if? New Testament, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you as well. God, God, I, I'm just looking for all these things. But the prefix, the if, is if you seek me first, first, number one, kingdom first, K1, kingdom first. If you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you as well. Old Testament, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Lord, I'm just looking for some straight paths. Well, wherever there's a promise, there's an if. Did you read the prefix? What about us? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Have you ever thought about that? Do you ever slow the Bible down? In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all, in how many ways? In all, this is meditation, where you actually chew on the word and you go over the word. In all your, in, all, in which way? In all my ways. In my financial ways, in my emotional ways, in my spiritual ways, in my physical ways, in every single way, God, I'm going to acknowledge you. And as I acknowledge you, the promises that you will make my paths straight. Well, why are they so crooked? Well, let's wind it back. Let me examine my own ways. New Testament. Give and it will be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together and running over. I just don't have it and ever experienced this whole running over thing. Give and it will come back to you. For whatsoever a man sows, that way he shall also reap. Whatsoever, everyone say whatever. Whatever. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. If you sow bad attitude, you reap bad attitude. If you sow dishonesty, you reap dishonesty. If you sow injustice, you reap injustice. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap, give, and it will be given. Old Testament, if you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, there will be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and I will rebuke the devourer, and I will open the windows of heaven so there'll be so much blessing you do not even know what to do with it. Well, I just don't see enough blessing. If you bring the whole tithe, says the Lord God Almighty, into the, to into the storehouse, into the church, if you do that, I will do this. If you do that, I will do this. I will open the floodgates of heaven, the floodgates of heaven. And I will pour out so much blessing on you, you don't know what to do with it. Whew. Wherever there's a promise, there's an if. All right, I've got a little bit of time left and I'm going to break bread. Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to get in the Word a little bit. Everybody okay still? Am I going too fast? Okay, am I provoking you? Okay, good. <laughs> I was in Africa last year and someone gave me a spur that actually goes on a cowboy boot. And it's sharp, it's on a wheel. It goes on the back of a cowboy boot to kick the horse. That's what the writer of Hebrews was saying. Consider how you may spur one another on, provoke one another toward good deeds. And church, I'm going to stay on this vein because, and I think this, this, this scripture will lay a foundation for why I'm saying what I'm saying today. But, um, wait, what did I say? Hebrews 5, and then if you can go to Genesis chapter 14, um, verse 10. Called by God to be high priest in the order 
of Melchizedek. Everyone say Melchizedek. We have much to say about this, Hebrews chapter 5, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. That was verse 11. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Wow. We don't exactly know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some say Paul, some say different scholars. But the writer of Hebrews is saying this. He starts talking about Melchizedek, Melchizedek which we're going to pick up in just a moment. But he's, he's actually saying, listen, some of these things are hard to explain as elementary truths. And some of these things the writer of Hebrews says I'm going to talk about are hard to explain. They are more for people who are mature. They are, it is solid food. It is steak. It is not for babies. Babies, we have some babies in the room and babies coming in and out who are being nursed right now, those babies don't have teeth. They can't eat solid food. They can't digest and chew on solid food like steak, like meat of the word. They need milk. But as we get older and our babies grow, they go on to solid food and they eat bananas and they eat, they eat vegetables and softer food until they have their teeth are sharp enough and until they are mature enough to actually chew and, and eat solid food. And that is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. And so he starts by talking about designated or called by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And I want to pick that up in Genesis chapter 14 and look at exactly what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here. And we're going to look at Melchizedek. Everyone say Melchizedek. Genesis chapter 14, I'm going to read from verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God, and he blessed Abraham, saying, Abraham, blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of the heavens and earth, earth, and blessed be to the Most High God who delivered your enemies into your hands. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Another translation, actually, in the Hebrew, it is actually the word tithe. And then Abraham tithes to Melchizedek. Melchizedek is a type and shadow of Christ Jesus himself. He was the Old Testament priest. Jesus was the New Testament priest. The word Melchizedek means son of righteousness. And he was the king of Salem. Salem is the word shalom. Everyone say shalom. Shalom means peace and well-being. Shalom. Melchizedek. A type of Jesus from the Old Testament. And there's something powerful that I want to I read. Let's, let's, first of all, let's just unpack this as we go. And he bought bread and he bought wine. So, Abraham gave him a tenth, gave him a tithe of everything that he had. And he bought bread and wine. Bread, as we know, those who ever make bread, you have to beat that bread. Bread is made through beating, it's made through pounding and kneading out. You know, Jesus is the bread of life. He was bruised for our iniquity so that we could feed on him the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. Wine had to be crushed. Gethsemane actually means the place of the crushed. The blood was spilt to make a covenant. Today I'm taking a very large subject and I'm fully aware in the time that I have to unpack this. But there's something I believe in the covenantal blessing that was given through Abraham or to Abraham from God through the order of Melchizedek, which was Jesus, in Genesis. 
that is linear and happened 430 to 450 years before the law was brought on Mount Sinai. And I want to provoke something, and if you're here as a visitor for the first time, or you've bought a visitor, and you're like, I cannot believe the church is talking about money today. <laughs> you know, like, I'll oh, just bring my neighbor. Oh, and they always think the church is after my money. I promise you, we're not after your money. There's something here to do with maturity. There's something here to do with the fear of God. There's something here to do with accessing the very blessing of God. For, to, for generation after generation after generation after generation after generation, which affects us, that I believe God's people, through a lack of understanding and a lack of maturity, don't have access to. And it's affecting us. So I should go slower? No, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. The Levitical priesthood blessed you when you obeyed, but cursed you when you disobeyed. The Abrahamic blessing and the Abrahamic covenant was a covenant of blessing. And when it comes to the tithe, when it comes to the tenth, it is not an Old Testament or a New Testament issue. It is a covenant issue. It's an issue of the covenant that we have with the covenant-keeping God. It is not to do with the law. It is not to do with the Old or the New Testament. It's to do with the covenant that God made with our father Abraham that affects us. I'm just going to read it because it's right here. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the Lord Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between you and me, and I will greatly increase your number. Abraham fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. The kings will come from you. I will establish into this my covenant as an everlasting covenant between you and me and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. That's us. Oh, great. I thought it was amazing. Fantastic. Well done, Dan. Okay, let's turn to the New Testament. Malachi chapter, no, 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 no. Uh, Galatians chapter 3. You guys okay? I want you blessed. I want God's people blessed. Galatians chapter 3. Paul writes to the church, the Galatian church. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through the promise. Matthew 23, verse 23. Jesus comes against the teachers of the law and he says, you hypocrites, you have forgotten the former teaching. You've neglected the former. You've neglected the tithe. Jesus says, give to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Church, I'm provoking us here in a pattern of obedience, of knowing the promises of God, in enjoying the promises of God, the benefits of covenant, the benefits of the blessings of God, but wherever there's a promise, there's an if. If. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. In other words, pay your taxes but give to God what belongs to God. John Washko always says this, we don't take up the tithes and offerings, we receive the tithe. The Bible says bring the whole tithe. In fact, let's turn there, Malachi chapter 3. 
Malachi is the very last book recorded in the Old Testament. That little page between the two that says New Testament um, is not actually in the Bible. So if you like, you could tear it out, and then it just keeps reading. Just, just kidding. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. I want to just read this, just a bit of this for, for a moment, because we always read, jump, jump straight to the bit about the tithe. But Malachi chapter 3 says, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before you. He's talking about John the Baptist. So Malachi is prophesying into the New Testament. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come and say, the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand the day of his appearance? For he will be like the refiner's fire. That's where we got the refinery from. So he will come near to you for judgment. Verse 20, he will be quick to testify against sorcerers and adulterers and perjurers and against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress widows and the fatherless and deprive aliens. Whoa, that's uh, foreigners, not actual aliens. <laughs> of justice, but do not fear, says the Lord God Almighty. I, the Lord do not change. Verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see that I will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you that you will ha not have enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines from in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. All the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord God Almighty. He's prophesying into the future. He's prophesying about John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ. He's talking, he's prophesying about the temple. Jesus will come to the temple. Of course, he's, it was Jesus that says, I will destroy the temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Paul says this, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's no longer a place. It's no longer a physical place. The church is, the temple now is a people. It's you and me. We are the temple. That's why we're meeting in a gym. There's nothing, there's nothing holy about this building. It's us. It's people. God did something amazing on this land. But you hear what I'm saying. John the Baptist, the temple. So God is saying here in Malachi, this is one of the ways that you've robbed me by you've held back the tithe. And what I'm saying to you, Malachi is prophesying, is if you will release what belongs to me, God says, I will release to you what belongs to you. If you pour into my house, I will pour into your house. Bring the whole tithe. Everyone say whole. The whole. Bring the whole tithe. T tithe means tenth. It means 10%. So bring the whole 10%, bring your whole tithe into the storehouse, which is the local church, so that there may be food in my house. I am absolutely convinced that there should be no lack in God's house. There should be no lack in God's house. God's economy will never crash. God's kingdom will never collapse financially because there's, a, and there's an economy which is different from the world system. It's a kingdom principle. And it was set before the law. Hundreds of years before the law. Of course, we're not, tithing is not a law. It is a principle that was set in creation or it's set with, with Abraham, the father of the faith, before the law. 430 to 450 years before the law was given. And the promises, I will bless you. We've read all... Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. We love the blessings of God. They are principles to live by. And the principle of the tithe is not about an Old Testament or a New Testament law. It's about a covenant that God made with us, his people, to thousands of generations to come. And there's blessing attached with it. And I want to provoke you, Spurs, today. 
God doesn't need your money. He can open the fish's mouth and pull out a coin. But there's something about money. It's a root. It's not the root. It's a root. The love of money is a root of evil. There is nothing wrong with money. In fact, I want to suggest to you, God wants you blessed, 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 blessed. Biblical prosperity is having enough to meet your needs and the, enough to meet the needs of the people around you. I have never met, and I've traveled all over the world, anyone who is in poverty that just loved it and wanted to stay there. Therefore, it's, we are blessed to be a blessing. Nearly done. Let's read uh, um, Genesis. I know I already read it. Genesis chapter 17. No, almost done. Verse 7. And I will establish my covenant with you, which is an everlasting covenant between you and me and your descendants for the generations to come. For the generations to come. And the God of your descendants after you. I wrote some of these things down early this morning. By the way, we're going to break bread in a moment. <laughs> There's something so powerful about breaking bread. There's something so powerful about the cup. And I sat in my office this morning looking out the window and I just began to cry, saying, God, you're so good. Thank you. Thank you that you're my God. Thank you that I have access to you. Thank you that I can know you. And I just, as I just tried to pour out my heart to him, I, I went and got the bread and the wine and I broke bread in my office. And I tangibly, for, I remember the first time I, I saw a revelation on the, on the cup and, and I felt God give me some insight, which I'll share in just a moment as we close. As I broke bread, I felt health rush through my body. Life rush through my body. The anointing of God rush through my body there's something powerful about the table of the Lord it's interesting that when Melchizedek was there there was bread and there was wine and there was the tithe there was bread and there was wine and there was the tithe wherever there's a promise there's an if if you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, says the Lord God Almighty, I will rebuke the devourer. I'm convinced, because I've seen it in my own life, that when the devourer comes, like Pac-Man, see, the tithe protects us. Offerings give us increase. They give us, they, they, there, comes, there comes a, a return, a generous return. Tithing isn't. Can I just say a couple of, you know there's no such thing as a big tither and a small tither? Either you're a tither or you're not. Bring the tithe, the tithe, into the storehouse. If you take the tithe, your tithe, your 10%, and you put it somewhere else, it may be the tithe, but you're not tithing. Tithing is to tithe into the storehouse, and the promise is there will always be enough food in my house. There'll be enough food in the house. I will open up the floodgates of heaven. So he'll rebuke the devourer. There'll be food in the house. And they'll, I will open the floodgates of heaven. I, I heard a statistic recently that in America, about 40% of people tithe. So I wrote this down. That means probably six, that means that 60% of heaven's windows are still closed. Is that good math? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. I will rebuke the devourer and I will open the floodgates of heaven so there'll be so much blessing on you, you don't know what to do with it. If only 40% of people tithe, then I want to suggest to you that perhaps 60% of heaven's windows have not been opened up with the floodgates of blessing that is an Abrahamic blessing that is still for us. Whew. Obedience is connected to authority. I'm going to say that again. Obedience is connected to authority. Obedience is connected to authority. Do you remember where they said, Jesus we know, in Acts, I think it's Acts chapter, Acts chapter 15, 19, 15, it says, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who are you? 
And they gave the disciples such a beating, they stripped them naked and sent them out beaten up. Hello! There is something about authority that when we're walking in the principles and when we've heard the truth, and I just want to ask for forgiveness to you guys, I know I have not done a good job at teaching the tithe. And sometimes it's like, well, people just don't always think you're after your money and just let get people do whatever they want. And I think, gosh, but when I, when I, and I don't look at what people give, give in offerings or tithe ever, so I have no idea. Um, it just keeps you from being, you know, partial, impartial. But one thing I do know is I know people who live by the principle of tithing. And so often the case is that they are so blessed they carry the people that aren't. And I just wonder what would happen if we will follow God's principles and the whole, all of God's people did followed his word and followed the blessing and even to the point where, where you can test God in this because God says, test me. I'm going to bring the first tenth and I'm going to bring it into the local church. I'm going to bring it into the storehouse and I'm going to place it there and now I'm going to watch God do a miracle. Do you like apples? I'm nearly done. If we don't, then I know how this works because I'm human, right? We say, well, I, that's great, God, but you know, I'm between jobs right now. Can't really afford to dip into the savings. What if I need them? Or I'm buying a new house or a car. We need a deposit. We would. We believe it. But we've got to do something. Because we really got to get that funds up for our retirement because what if we run out I don't just give money to the church well we would I mean believe it but isn't that Old Testament isn't that law aren't we under grace now my kids need braces I never had any breakfast. This is working well for me. Well, I would. But give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to the Lord what's the Lord's and April's coming. God's our father. We're a family. And my family need a vacation. So by the end, this is what we give God. What's left? And church, I want Jesus to come back. And he's coming back for a bride that's made herself ready. He's coming back for a church that's ready. And the writer of Hebrews says, these things are hard to explain, but they're for the mature, not for those who drink milk. I believe part of the floodgates of heaven is also to do with revelation. That revelation will come, that we will see heaven. We'll see more of God's glory when we start to obeying the simple things. Wherever there's a promise, there's an if. Tithing church isn't an Old Testament or a New Testament issue. It's a covenant issue. It's an issue of walking with God. And I want to provoke you. This is between you and the Lord. 
But I, I do want to be faithful to teach God's word. I just want you to know the staff here in this church are on commission. <laughs> we don't get more money the more people that come. It doesn't work like that. We all have to trust God. But we have a world to win. We have a world to win. We have a job to get done. And God wants us blessed. Ephesians chapter 6, and I'll finish with this. Can someone just come and play just for a moment while I finish? Ephesians chapter 6. Thanks, Wes. I'm going to break bread. That was a hearty apple. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 6 is all about the armor of God. And Paul says this to the church in Ephesus. He says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle. Everyone say wrestle. We wrestle. If we have some wrestlers. Simon, are you here? Simon? Any wrestlers? You're a wrestler, right, Simon? Any other wrestlers here? Wrestle. When you wrestle, the game is to pin your opponent to the ground. To pin down their points, so their arms and their legs, and then put all your weight on top of them so they're bound. Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities of darkness. And those principalities of darkness are trying to pin us to the ground, trying to bind us. And I believe tithing is one of the weapons that of our warfare. It's one of the weapons that we have. Paul says the weapons we fight with are not carnal. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish strongholds by obeying the word of God, by doing what God's word says, line after line, precept after precept. And so I want to break bread right now and just ask us to come. And um, breaking bread is so powerful. But I believe that as we walk out this covenant blessing, And there were three principles, the bread, the wine, and tithing that Abraham had with this encounter with Melchizedek, with Jesus himself, that brought about blessing, health, finance, authority, and a rebuking of the devourer. And if you want the devourer rebuked, two of us. (laughs) I don't even know what to say about that. But church, I believe this is a maturity issue. It's a steak issue. It's a solid food issue. It's a principle that was in creation, bringing the first fruits. It's a principle that God established with our father Abraham and the blessing and the promise that he gave over him that would be for generations to come. I'm going to end with this, and this may be the first time many of you have heard of this, but if you can imagine a cross right behind me, and if you can imagine on each side of the cross, there's two domains. There's the kingdom of, or the domain of darkness. It's not a kingdom because it has no king, but it's a domain of darkness and the kingdom of light. We were born into this domain. We were born in as sinners. We were born into darkness. But when Jesus died on the cross, it was a finished work. Everyone say finished. It was a finished work. Jesus said, it is finished. It's tetelestai. So over here, we were slaves and we were sinners. But over here is a marvelous kingdom of light. And it's full of sons and daughters. And it's full of saints. Therefore, we are not on a journey to the cross. Here's the cross. We're not on a journey to the cross. We're not doing things for love. We're not doing things for acceptance. We're not doing things for victory. No, it was a finished work on the cross. And now we're not on a journey to the cross. We're on a journey from the cross. So we're on a journey doing things from a place of victory, from a place of acceptance, from a place of being loved. It is by grace that we're saved and not by works. There's nothing we can do to just earn it or deserve it. It was a finished work. It was what Jesus did on the cross. There's a reason I'm saying this and it's so important to the breaking of bread. 
when I started this understanding this revelation in the middle of when I was in the, when I, before that I used to live like this he loves me he loves me not he loves me he loves me not it was constantly mixture am I good am I in God's favor today or not And when I read that scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if any of you, but when you take the bread and the cup, in fact, let's read it together. 1 Corinthians 11. Almost done. I'm almost done. Everybody okay? I I know you want me to go slower because you're so quiet. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup in an unworthy manner, everyone say unworthy manner. Remember that will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. For if anyone eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, he eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak, sick, and a number of you have even died. Here we go. Ready? This is where I was stuck for so long. When I grew up, the bread and the wine used to come. I used to squeeze my eyes really tight. And I used to examine myself. I think, I'm unworthy. I don't want to be sick. I don't want to be weak. I don't want to die. So I'm not going to take communion. And I'd always pass it. And always the ushers, my dad was the pastor. They'd always look at me like, yes, Daniel, you should be passing it. I'd be like, yeah, shame. But as I began to understand what it was to walk in sonship, as I began to understand that I'm not a sinner, I'm not a slave, don't be burdened again with the yoke of slavery. The Bible, the New Testament writes to us as sons and daughters, to the saints, not to the slaves. And as I began to realize the finished work of the cross, I began to read this again and again, and I began to read everything that still spoke of mixture. And I was sitting in my office, in my house, one morning, several years ago. And God began to speak to me through this scripture. And it was the word manna. If anyone and drinks this cup in an unworthy manner, and God says, I'm not talking about a person. I'm talking about a manner in which you come to the table of the Lord. If, I've, if Jesus said it is finished, then I am now a son and a daughter. I can't go back to being a sinner every time I, I mess up. No, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a saint. I'm a son. So when I take the table of the Lord, what Paul is saying is if you take it in an unworthy manner, not recognizing the finished work of the cross, If you don't recognize that Jesus said it is finished, paid, done, once and for all. If you don't recognize it, if you take it in an unworthy manner, not recognizing that truth, that's why. For that one singular reason is why some of you are weak and sick and some of you even died. Therefore, church, the opposite is true. If we take it in a worthy manner, recognizing it was a finished work, that he died for our sin. He died for our sickness. He took away our shame. That was a divine exchange. Sadness for gladness. Mourning for joy. Despair for praise. Garment of praise instead of a spirit. It was an instead of. It was a divine exchange. So that now we stand on this side of the cross and we take it in a worthy manner. And therefore, now the opposite is true. That when we take it in a worthy manner, we'll be healthy, strong, and live a long life instead of weak and sick and dying premature. Church, I I know I'm taking a lot in a small bit of time, but I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll bring revelation to the... You know, it's good news. The gospel means good news. It was paid for at Calvary. So as we break bread today... I just want to encourage you, don't go all solemn. Don't go all inward looking. Don't call yourself a slave or a sinner. Don't carry shame. Shame off you. Lift up your heads. Come confidently. Take the bread and the wine. Go and break bread with someone. The bread is for healing. The wine or the cup is for the forgiveness of sin. 
And we proclaim this until He comes. We're proclaiming what He did on the cross. Health, strength, and a long life. Health, strength, and a long life. As I took the cup this morning on my own and took bread, I began to cry and overwhelmed by the awesomeness of God. And I felt health, strength, and life permeate my being. Amen. We stand together. I just want to, I'm just going to just open this up. Just, can you just come? And if once you've taken the bread and wine, don't jam the area, but just kind of walk to the sides and work around. And if you can, go and find someone to break bread with, someone to love on, and just say, this is a cup of blessing. The, this is a cup of blessing. It's for the forgiveness of sin. And the bread is for the healing of your body. Take the bread. It's the bread of life. Bruised. Eat it. It's good. Amen. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for this church. And Lord, I ask that you would find in us a people that are maturing, that are getting ready for your return. That Lord, from the foolishness of preaching, the things that that you will wing things by the power of your Holy Spirit, truth into our hearts today, that they would take root and bear fruit and fruit that will remain in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said... Amen. I love you so much, church. Come and enjoy the table of the Lord. Enjoy it. Enjoy it.